0: Elliot, thank you for the beautiful music. You remind me a lot of myself a few years ago, except you're way better at playing the piano than I was. But I love hearing your music and seeing your exuberance as you play um, in our church family, and our school community. Thank you for blessing us with that gift that God has given you. Keep doing it. Don't give up. This morning I have been having this debate in my head about what to talk about, it being uh, Memorial Day weekend, and I think I'll share um, a little tribute um, before I begin my sermon, a story, or a couple stories that are meaningful to me that have uh, personal meaning uh, on this weekend. the first one is a a commendation um, from the President of the United States of America, authorized by the Act of Congress of July 9, 1918, which takes pleasure in presenting the Silver Star to a private first class from Medford, Oregon, Kenneth R. Corliss, United States Army, for gallant action while serving in a company one of the 71st Infantry Regiment, 44th Infantry Division in France on December 24, 1944. Private First Class Corliss bravely dared enemy machine gun fire that was pinning down his platoon to rescue a seriously wounded member of his company that had not been given medical attention because of the intensive superiority a firepower that the enemy commanded at that time. For such firm and courageous spirit shown by Private First Class Corliss, incentive was given to the remaining men of his platoon so that the objective was taken and the life of the soldier was spared. His gallant action and dedicated devotion to duty without regard for his own life we're in keeping with the highest tradition of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself, his unit, the United States of America and Medford, Oregon. Private first class Corliss uh, lived to, to have another day, and he's the father of my mother-in-law. And I'm blessed to have my wife alive today because he's, he lived long time ago in john chapter 15 jesus said john chapter 15 and verse 13 he says greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for a friend you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants because servant a servant does not know his master's business instead i've called you friends for everything that i've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Another story that's meaningful to me is another young private first class in the same war in World War II it was in training here. Uh, in the United States prior to being deployed. And he saw three of his friends with heavy equipment on their backs trying to cross a river. And while crossing the river, they were swept in and were drowning. And so without regard to himself, this young man rushed in and rescued uh, these three gentlemen. In the process, he, he was injured and drowned in the water himself and did not live. I didn't ever get to meet this young man, but he was my great-uncle, and I heard stories about him my whole life and was blessed to have that story of gallantry, that reminder of God's love for us. You see, Jesus came to this world, and he didn't know any of us. He hadn't met any of us, but he knew about us and who we were going to become and what our potential was. And he wanted us to have freedom. And so he gave his life for each one of us. That example lives on in the men and women in our armed services here in the United States and many men and women throughout the world. And when we see these examples and we have these opportunities like this weekend to remember uh, these uh, acts of service that are thoughtless to ourselves but actually are are saving other people. We're reminded what a wonderful God we serve, that he would send his son to save us from our sins. So this morning, as I share a personal testimony, I just invite you and your mind to uh, think of those who have given the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our freedom, and especially Jesus, who gave his life for our freedom and our salvation I ask you to bow your heads with me as we ask the Lord to be with us this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. And this morning, as we look forward to a future with you, we ask you, Lord, that you'll come into our lives, that you'll help us fully understand that love that you have for each one of us and the love that you want us to have for your brothers and sisters, and the children that you call friends on this planet Earth that desperately need to hear about your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm done crying. We can talk now. This time of year always reminds me of a time in life um, where I didn't really know uh, what end was up. It was... um, About halfway through college where I decided that I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I had tried out several different uh, career options. I had tried out biology and discovered it was hard. I had tried out um, uh, theology and discovered that there was Greek and Hebrew in theology and that you had to learn lots of different languages and that was hard. I had tried out flying. I knew it was fun, but there were hard classes in the aviation program like hydraulics and pneumatics, which made no sense to me. And so there I was about three years into a very expensive college career, um, wondering what God had in store for me. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in high school wondering what college holds for you, or if you should go to college, or if you should waste money on that, maybe you can relate to how I was feeling. I grew up hearing these great verses in the Bible talking about my future, and I had people surrounding me who had all of these wonderful plans. There were all the uh, pre-med students, who seemed to have it all lined out. They knew that this four years was going to take place and then the next four years were going to take place and then the next four years after that were going to take place and then they would begin life. And they were okay with that. And I just didn't understand that because I was young and I wanted to experience life right now. Maybe you can relate to that. Well, I was also surrounded by people who... Um, had a deep love for God, and in their love for God, they had this relationship where it seemed like God had things all lined out for them too. If it wasn't easy for them, then it must not be God's will. And they would tell me, well, it seems like all of this stuff you're struggling with is pretty hard. You know, maybe, maybe it's not God's will because it's not easy like it is for me. And I just struggled with that uh, concept. I want to start out our talk this morning uh, reading several verses out of Psalm 139, starting in verse 7. Where I go, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise up on the wings of the dawn... I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. I'd grown up on this verse, uh, understanding that God had knit me together. He had given me everything I needed, and yet, as a young person, I struggled not knowing what that was that he wanted me to do with my life. Maybe you can relate to that. Early in my senior year of college, I read a story of the tragic death of a pastor, Les Anderson, who was a missionary pilot serving in Papua New Guinea. He was three weeks from returning back to the United States after four years of spending time in New Guinea. Little did I know at that moment that another one of our former church family members here, the Scarborough family, was serving with him. And when the air traffic controllers reported that he had not returned to base, Brian Scarborough hopped in the other aircraft and went looking for him and was actually the person that found the crash site. Graduating from Walla Walla, having heard this story and realizing that there was a need within our Adventist community for missionary pilots, I started to feel this tugging on my heartstrings that perhaps God was calling me not to learn a difficult language like Greek, but maybe he was calling me to be something a little bit different, maybe a different kind of a pastor or a different, maybe a missionary pilot. I didn't know. But I did know that in order to make this all happen, I had to have somebody go with me um, to make it all happen. And so I uh, began the process of convincing Alicia Suchia to be my wife. And um, I also began the process of convincing her that we needed to live in Alaska in the most rural place we could possibly get to in order to prepare ourselves for this unknown um, adventure that God had begun to call me to. And so it was in 2003 that uh, we got married here in this church, right about here, I think, and uh, promptly hopped on an airplane and flew to Dillingham, Alaska for uh, three years of solitude and childbearing. (laughs) Um, During these three years, I, I had chosen Dillingham because it's it doesn't have any road connecting it to mainland Alaska. It is about as far out in the middle of nowhere as you can be. And I thought for sure that because it was so far out in the middle of nowhere that they would need airplanes to fly people to places and they would need pilots. I figured this was a a good place to gain experience. Some of you who are just finishing high school and getting your first job, or maybe just finishing college and looking for a job, uh, have probably heard recently uh, the question after they read your resume what kind of experience do you have? How are you qualified for this position? I had been hearing that question a lot recently, and so. Although I had these great plans to become a a bush pilot and learn all the things that I needed to know to operate safely in the mission field, I kept getting this question asked of me, how is it that you are qualified for this position? And so it was that I found myself working as a mechanics helper, working on heavy, heavy equipment, learning how to drive an 18-wheeler truck, learning how to drive a front-end loader, learning how to drive a bulldozer, trying to be just like Bruce Farley, Um, but not really being good at anything that I was doing, Uh, just grasping at um, gaining experience. Along the way, I interviewed for a pastoring job, and I had a conference president ask me, What makes you think that you're qualified for this position that you're applying for? And I felt like it was a slap in the face because I didn't know how to get to the place where I had experience without applying for a job that would give me the experience. It was like trying to get, uh, you know, did the chicken lay the egg or did the egg come first? And I couldn't figure out which of these things came first because I couldn't seem to get to the place where I could get started. All the while, my wonderful wife was providing for my needs. Three years of learning how to drive a truck, learning how to fix heavy machinery, trying to convince church leadership and small airplane operators that I was a worthy risk. I wanna tell you as a young person this morning To keep applying, to keep trying. And I want to implore you, as an experienced older person, that young people are worth the risk. At some point, I have to be willing to share the experience and the talents that God has given me with those who have no experience, who need to develop their talents. They're worth the risk because someday they will be in the position that I am. God has knit you together in your mother's womb, and you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And He has given you the talents that you need. He's given you people in your life. And I want to encourage you, young people, to choose mentors in this church family or outside of this church family who will keep pointing you to Jesus as the author and the finisher of your faith. We, as people who have gained experience somehow, also have a calling today to step up alongside the young people in our church family and to encourage them and be the catalyst that drives them towards service to Jesus. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, a little bit earlier, say, O Lord, you searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. O Lord, you hem me in behind and before You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This verse implies that God knows me before I know myself. God knows what I'm capable of, He knows the talents that I am going to uh, possess, He knows the people I'm going to run into who will develop my talents. He knows where the resources are going to come from to help me grow and develop into the person He intends me to be. Three years after uh, beginning our Alaska adventure, I um, would, had been participating in a, a camp meeting event that was being um, uh, held at our church. On a Sabbath afternoon and a Sunday morning. And I invited the conference president and the pilot, who was also a dentist in Alaska, um, to come over to our house and eat my bachelor's food while my wife worked the night shift uh, so that we could provide for our family. And I was sitting there holding Noah on my hip like a good stay at home father, and we were talking about God's calling in our lives. And I was expressing frustration to these two gentlemen um, about this, this doldrum that I seemed to be in in my life as a t- young 20-something trying to figure out where God had called me to be but not really feeling like I, I belonged anywhere. And as I expressed that, I, I saw some interest on their faces. They expressed some, um, uh, some empathy the conference president uh, encouraged me again, same person, um, said that uh, perhaps I should volunteer for a while as a pastor, and perhaps that would lead me into the position um, that, that uh, God had called me to be. The two gentlemen left, they flew back to Anchorage, and that night a phone call came, and it was the the pilot slash dentist from Anchorage, and he said to me, Jeff, what do you need? And I said, what do you mean, what do I need? And he said, well, how much money do you need? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you are struggling to get started. It feels to me like you just need a little push over the edge. What will it take to get you started? And I said, well, there's a flying job on the other side of Alaska that starts in two weeks, but they only pay $1,000 a month. I can't provide for a wife and a baby and another baby on the way and, and fly this airplane that they're asking me to fly. I just can't afford it. And so he said again, well, how much do you need? I said, are you seriously asking me what my finances are? That's kind of a private detail. And he said, well, I really want to know because I really want to help you. I want to get you going on this path, this journey that God has called you to. And so it was that Alicia and I had a difficult conversation about our finances where we discussed what this would mean if we took an offer from this man. And we told him a number, and he said, you can have an interest-free loan as long as you need it until the point at which you get able to continue on with your career that God has called you to go to. Can you believe somebody would take a risk on a 25-year-old kid who doesn't have a job or a career or any way to pay for that, and they would just seemingly mindlessly give money away uh, so that I could get started? Well, that's what happened in my life, and this was the first time where I saw God opened a door where there seemed like there was a brick wall. I began a career flying for uh, an uh, airline operator for four years. It felt like I was slaving away and still just churning my wheels, trying to get started on this career. And again, I was convinced that God had called me to do something special that touched the lives of people, and it just didn't feel like Carrying fish back and forth between one place to another was touching the lives of people. But God had a plan, and God continued to lead. After four years, um, I was notified by my boss that my position as a pilot at this airline would be terminated uh, within several months. And knowing that at this point I now had four children— Uh, he thought it would be wise for me to start looking for a job uh, somewhere else before the job dried up. The next night, my mother-in-law called. Now, my mother-in-law talks to my wife and my sister-in-law a lot, but she doesn't usually call me. Well, she called me from Medford, and she said, Jeff, I have to share this newspaper article with you from the Medford Mail Tribune. There is a need for air ambulance pilots. In Medford and they're advertising in the newspaper and I think you should look at the advertisement now me being a, a professional pilot I knew that airlines don't just advertise flying jobs in local newspapers you go to a special website called uh, climb to 350.com or willflyforfood.com these are the places where pilots get jobs Well, the Medford Mail Tribune had a full-page ad about the need of of a, a pilot here in Medford, and I called the number. They answered, surprised that anybody had read the newspaper, and I told them that I was going to be in Medford for a family vacation and asked if I could interview for the position they were surprised that they were going to be interviewing somebody so early. They had planned to interview someone in August, and I said, well, I'll be there in June if I could interview for this position. They willingly interviewed me, and shortly thereafter offered me a position to come here and serve as an air ambulance pilot for Mercy Flights. God was still working with me in understanding this concept Of giving me the resources that I needed when I needed them, providing me the talents ahead of time before the talent before the need arose, giving me the mentorship and the resources at the time that I needed them. I still wasn't to the place that some of my friends and family were where the door just seemed to open in front of me out of nowhere. Um, where I didn't even have to try, I felt like I was doing a lot of things myself to try to get moving in this career that I felt that God had called me to. As I began flying for Mercy Flights, I had a bit more time on my hands to to kind of focus on my family. I got to learn the names of your children as I taught kindergarten Sabbath School upstairs. We got to sing songs about missionary planes flying to the mission field. Some of you remember singing those songs. And I dreamed while I was was singing and flying these planes around that maybe someday this would be me flying the airplane around in the mission field. When God calls, sometimes there are options, and we're required to use our free will and make a choice which direction to go. This morning I want to demonstrate that to you just a little bit. Um, As I sat here uh, flying the air ambulance around the area and learning how to be a good Sabbath school teacher and learning how to be a good parent, I wondered, when is God going to call me? I also began talking to some friends who were serving in the mission field, and they began to tell me about the needs that they had over time. Um, it seemed like I kept having my goal of, of being in the mission field pushed further and further away from me. And then one day it all happened at once. Uh, there was a, an accident that took place in, in Papua New Guinea at our flying program there. There was a mechanic working on an airplane. And as he was in the fuel bay working on the airplane, um, the wing exploded. There was a spark, and the mechanic was badly injured. Um, his dad was the, was the head of the program, and the whole family had to change their plans uh, for how long they were going to be in the, in the area there, and they had to leave quickly. And suddenly, I got a phone call saying, when can you be here? This was like March of 2013. Well, you all as a church family might remember also that um, during that time we were looking for a pastor. We had had uh, Pastor Dan retire, and Pastor Randy was going to be our head pastor, and we had Pastor Michael on the way coming here, but we were in need of a youth pastor. And I can remember coming out of Sabbath school and seeing these two guys lurking in the back over there in the empty church, and it was Rory and Pastor Randy, and they wanted to talk to me. And they they said, I don't know if you remember this, Rory, but they said that um, we needed to have a third pastor, and they thought that maybe I would be the right person for that position. Maybe I should consider that. Just the day before, I had gotten a phone call from Papua New Guinea saying that they needed me in Papua New Guinea. Here, I had been trying my whole life to get... The, people to understand that God had called me to ministry and God had called me to uh, be a pilot and suddenly at the same exact moment God had given me two options two windows that I had to decide on which one I should go to and I now believe that God oftentimes looks at us and he says Jeff You have free will. You have the ability to choose. I've given you everything you need. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are beautifully and wonderfully made, and you're intended for great things. Now choose what those great things are and how you will impact. God gives us choice and free will. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to have um, the desires of our hearts. And sometimes he leaves it to us to make two, one of two good decisions. So I can't say to you this morning that as you try to decide what God's will is in your life, that you can just pray and all the answers will present, be presented to you. I think God gives us uh, the ability to make some good decisions by giving us a brain and the ability to make decisions of how we will implement His calling in our life. As uh, Psalms 139 verse 4 says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. It's an adventure to walk in God's will and see Him provide the necessary resources for the task before it is known to us. I would submit to you this morning that God gives us the ability to make these decisions, but He already knows what decisions we're going to make, and He's planned ahead and provided resources so that when we make a decision to follow Him, the resources are in place and ready for us. In September of 2013, my family had the opportunity to get on an airplane to leave our our home here and travel uh, about 5,800 nautical miles across the ocean to the southwest. And we found ourselves uh, about 45 hours later in our new home in Goroka, Papua New Guinea, where I was to serve as the chief pilot for Adventist Aviation Services, Papua New Guinea, which is one of two church funded flying programs that we as the Seventh-day Adventist Church have the opportunity to use in our goals to share the gospel with unreachable communities. Early in my flight training, I found myself in awe of the rugged terrain that I was surrounded by, these incredible airstrips, which look a lot like Lower Juliet, if you're a fan of Mount Ashland. If you can imagine facing a mountain, and Boris, who's flown to Papua New Guinea, can attest to this. There are a few airstrips where when you're on short final, all you can see is this big hill in front of you. And just as you turn uh, to make your last turn, there the airstrip is. You land and you stop because the mountain is so steep that the airplane doesn't have enough power to take you to the top of the mountain. I was in awe of these experiences, but I was incredibly thankful that God had given me the talents to do this flying before I ever got there. I think that if I had come unprepared, I would have come home to Alicia after that first day and said, Alicia, this is too much. It's not safe. I want to go home. But God had prepared me slowly for this opportunity to serve him in this rural place. The other thing he had done for me is he'd given me this incredible experience working for talented mechanics. And within the first day or two that I was in Garoka, I discovered that there was never an end to broken machinery. Uh, Tractors tend to like to break. Um, We had a tractor that we used to mow the sides of the airfield where we were based and within the first 24 hours of us being in country, it broke down. And there was seemingly no one to fix it. But God had given me the talents ahead of time to be able to problem solve and work through the process of fixing the tractor. And it was able to continue its work keeping the airfield safe to land on. Often, we would land at airstrips and find injured and sick people who I was able to provide basic first aid to. Working as an air ambulance pilot, I never got to t- touch the patient or, or help at all, but I had been able to watch a lot, and my inquisitive mind was constantly thinking about what the paramedics were doing, and so it wasn't too much of a stretch for me to figure out how to help the people I was confronted with on a daily basis in the rural places in Papua New Guinea. At home, Alicia would use her skill, uh, learned as a nurse in rural Alaska, uh, to care for those who were injured and sick around us. She also got very good at using Skype to call Dr. Stewart to get a consult on how she should fix up a patient's uh, wounded abdomen or or care for a wound that was uh, very infected. Um, God blessed me with a wife who was able to use the talents he had given her to serve people. We quickly learned in our mission field experience that our actual mission field was right outside our gate. There were usually 20 or 30 kids at Sabbath school on Sabbath morning, and another 20 or 30 kids outside the fence wishing they could be at Sabbath school. There were several teachers on the campus where we lived that felt like these kids who stole from them all week long uh, didn't deserve to be inside the gate on sabbath and after several weeks of watching this we decided well if this is how it's going to be then we're going to have sabbath school at a place where these kids are welcome because they need to hear about jesus just as much as the ones inside the fence do we were able to share with these kids the love of jesus Sometimes they stole from us. Sometimes they took our kids' shoes. Sometimes they took our kids' toys. But most of all, they knew that we loved them and that Jesus loved them. Over our five years in Papua New Guinea, we were able to develop friendships that will last a lifetime. We were able to participate in life-saving medevacs. I think about several times that... um, I had an EpiPen on me to be able to help somebody because Dr. Haugen gave me the materials necessary uh, to to provide for those people uh, who were having an anaphylactic shock. Um, I didn't know how to use the pen, but I'm thankful for um, YouTube and the ability to access YouTube in the most rural places in Papua New Guinea when I needed uh, the advice on how to use an EpiPen. In 2015, I was sitting at my desk, and I have to tell you that being a missionary pilot is not always glamorous. Uh, Sometimes being a missionary pilot requires being a bookkeeper when your bookkeeper quits on you. And I don't know anything about keeping books. But I was doing the best I could when a distress call came in from a pastor uh, about a 45 minute flight away from us, telling me that there had been a boat carrying several pastors um, from one church to another. And while they were crossing some open ocean between two peninsulas, they had come across some rough water and the boat had capsized. There were five or six people in the water and they didn't know how these people um, were going to get to shore. They didn't know exactly where they were. They just knew that they had made a distress call and were in the water. So I loaded up several of our staff as, as spotters, several life rafts, and lots and lots of fuel. And we got in the airplane and we began to fly towards the place where they were last seen in the ocean. When we arrived on scene, Um, we couldn't see anything. All we could see was crashing waves. Um, Those of you who like to surf know that as you get a little bit offshore, um, the shore kind of gets dim out there, even just a mile offshore um, or a half mile offshore. um, It's a long ways away and you can't really see over the waves. Well in this airplane I could see lots of waves but I couldn't see anybody in the surf. It was just white water. Um, and nothing really to distinguish uh, where a boat would have been. After about a half an hour of flying around, flying a grid pattern, looking for these lost people, I decided to fly the shoreline and after five or ten minutes of flying, I found a group of people who were waving at me and trying to make phone calls with their wet cell phones. And they were, There was only four of them and I knew there had been five in the water. And uh, shortly thereafter, I received a call from base telling me that four people had made it to shore, but there was one pastor that was still missing. And they asked if I could continue flying and looking for, for the missing person. I continued flying for another half hour or so. Uh, it was starting to get dark. The sun was setting. And I, I couldn't distinguish anything in the waves Um, The waves were crocodile-infested waves and great white shark-infested waves. And I, at this point, was praying for this pastor, but I had no idea how he would make it to shore. Uh, Shortly thereafter, I made one last turn, was just getting ready to head back to Goroka where our base was. And I saw in the sand these big letters, S-A-V-E-D. I thought, saved. And I flew toward it, and I could see a bunch of people running from, from the trees where their village was, and I could see one person on the shore. Later on, I learned that the pastor had been ready to give up swimming, and he could see this, uh, these waves just crashing over him. They kept pushing him down, and when he was ready to give up hope, he had grasped onto an a, um, empty jerry can that had been full of fuel at the beginning of the trip. And he was hanging on to that for a few minutes, and he was just ready to let go because he was so tired and the waves were crashing over him. And this airplane started flying over his head, back and forth, looking, looking. And as he saw that, he looked up and he saw the church plane. He recognized the emblem on it, and he knew... There was somebody looking for him. So he put down his feet, and there was sand under him. And he was able to walk to shore. And um, I don't know if you've ever been out in the surf before, but you can be a long ways from shore and think that you're drowning. But when you look up, you can realize that God's got you, and he's looking for you. World-renowned chef and founder of World Central Kitchen, which responds to natural disasters, Jose Andres, says that everyone has a moment in life when you receive a call. You never know when the call is going to arrive or where from. That life-defining call came to me at 3.44 a.m. on the 26th of February, 2018. While lying in bed in our Papua New Guinea home, Alicia and I were awakened by a 7.5 magnitude earthquake, abruptly awakening all the people on our island home. After quickly escorting the sleepy-eyed kids out into the safety of the yard, Alicia and I spent the rest of the early morning discussing who we would respond to whenever the need arose in the daylight what we would do with the resources we had available. We knew at that moment that God had brought us there for a specific purpose. He'd given us the resources, the books were in order, the resources were available that we could respond immediately. The initial response of the government to this disaster and World Food Program and even our own ADRA were in somewhat disarray because there was no money designated for this disaster. I don't know if you realize, but there's never the money necessary designated for a specific disaster when that disaster occurs. When we see these disasters around the world take place, there's no budget for them. We have to respond as God has called us to do in these instances with the resources he's given us. And so we did. Knowing that people would have contaminated water and that resources would be running thin after about three days, my staff and I began to purchase water and water purification kits and tin fish, tuna, rice, whatever we could get our hands on, and began to fill our aircraft and fly them towards this epicenter of the earthquake. Other Christian uh, flying organizations had similar ideas, but they didn't have the same access to resources financially that we did. And so we began providing our resources to these other flying organizations, and they were able to respond initially Um, just as soon as uh, people started running out of water and food, they were able to take the resources we had on hand and deliver them to the most needed places. This positive interaction with uh, organizations that maybe had had a poor view of Seventh-day Adventists in the past uh, changed their perspective a little bit. The positive interaction with these other Christians as we worked together to help people in need opened doors that hadn't existed Other organizations who had, another organization who had engineering staff on hand asked if there was anything that they could do to help the Seventh-day Adventists. Now, several years before, I had turned down a request from a local church pastor who had asked me to open up an airstrip in his community. His community had been using shovels and buckets for about 10 years to prepare an airstrip. So that they could have the basic medical services and so that they could build a church um, that, that couldn't have the supplies flown in otherwise. They couldn't afford to hire a helicopter, and so they had just started digging on faith that at some point the church would be able to land an airplane in their community. After this interaction with the earthquake and the other Christian organizations in the area... Um, I was offered the use of this engineer, his drone, and several of his men to hike into this new community that had an airstrip ready to be landed on. And Micah and I had the opportunity to fly there, be the first persons to land on this airstrip on the mountainside. It was an incredible opportunity to be able to show my son that God can use our little efforts to serve his purposes. In 2018, our time was winding down and we knew it was time to come home. As we return to Medford, we've seen how God has uh, planned ahead of time for the provision of the flying program in Papua New Guinea. None of us here in this building or even on this world knew that COVID-19 was coming around the corner but in 2018 I began training a Papua New Guinea national. Now you must understand that it's not that the church doesn't want to have people from the country of Papua New Guinea flying their airplanes. It's the the facts exist that it's hard to take somebody who's never even driven a car and teach them how to fly a two million dollar airplane. And Some people had provided some funds for a young man uh, to go to New Zealand and receive training to fly an airplane, but he had no experience. And here I was with this opportunity to eat my own words and give somebody a chance, risk something for somebody who didn't have any experience, didn't have the experience necessary to operate safely. I think if... uh, State Farm had done a risk assessment of this young man, they would have said, the risk is high and the reward is not great. But I had these words ringing in my head that God had knit this young man together in his mother's womb and he was beautifully and wonderfully made. And so I began mentoring him, flying with him, giving him the opportunity to make decisions, to develop his talents, to get his driver's license. And during our last few months in Papua New Guinea, we were able to um, see him solo for the first time uh, with the church airplane. We were able to see him begin begin carrying missionaries around the country. And when the pandemic hit in 2020, The church was one of the few organizations that had people on staff and on hand who were legally allowed to continue operating in the country. And so even though many other airplanes were parked and idle for some months, our church flying program continued providing the basic needs to the church community and the community surrounding the church. God saw ahead of time what was needed. He knew about the pandemic before it ever came. He knew about your needs and my needs before they ever arose, and He made a way. Psalms one thirty nine fifteen through eighteen say, "God, my fame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days." ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be how precious to be me how precious to me are you your thoughts O lord how vast is the sum of them where were i to count them they would outnumber the grains of the sand when i awake i am still with you god saw ahead of time these needs He created you and I for a special purpose. He's given you free will to make choices. He wants this sin-sick world to know that he loves us. He wants to use you and I to be the conduit through which his love is expressed. As you walk through this life, may you see the opportunities he presents to you and continue to walk in this adventure with him let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for how you have used me in the past to share your love with people. And I acknowledge this morning, Lord, that you're not done with me yet. You continue to give me opportunities and decisions to make to share your love with those around me. In this dark world, Lord, may each one of us walk from this place with a light and a knowledge of your love in our hearts. May we go from here and continue to touch the world with your love so that you may come soon, so that this bridge that's been destroyed by sin between God and man may be bridged again. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for giving us this opportunity to be in your service. In Jesus' name, amen.